Glocal, podcast on locally incubated global technology powerhouses. So I think I talk with over 150 people, probably, like VCs and people. We could only raise from 30 of them, less than 20% I could convince to invest. It was not easy. Our fundraising never stopped. So if we close one round in Friday, probably Monday we start the next. This is your host, Enes. Scotty started as a ride-sharing platform, later launched into different verticals including package and food delivery. Our guest today is the CEO and founder Tarkan. We'll deeply discuss his fundraising strategies since he raised $12 million from 30 plus investors spread across the globe. He has investors from Asia, Europe and even US. We'll also discuss what he did on hiring because he hired a lot of key personnel from different startups, especially in Turkey. And then the elephant in the room being the regulation. We'll talk about how he's navigating in the regulation space. Let's move on to the episode. Welcome, Tarkan. Hi, Enes. So first of all, can you tell us what Scotty does and what inspired you to start the business at the first place? Scotty is a platform which helps people with ride hailing, food delivery, and courier services. But we started with ride sharing last year. And after six months, uh, we launched food delivery vertical and two months ago we launched our career services so we launched almost one and a half year ago we are becoming an everyday app a super app of our region wow so you're growing exponentially and while also expanding into different markets almost every single month but there are a number of companies out there in the world that do stuff similar um, like gojek which is one company that you most look up to and aspire and why because i admire their strategy they tend to focus in a region and become the problem solver of that region. They were hyper-local and focused in one place, which helped them to become the strongest app of the region so they could defend their business very well. With this strategy, they could build a payment gateway so they become a fintech, they become the wallet of the region. So I think super app mentality needs to be highly local in the beginning to be the super app. So that's why I like them. As far as I know, um, Gojek only operates in Indonesia. And as far as I understand, that's your strategy of being only in Turkey. But how big is Turkey from a market sizing standpoint? I know that the population is 80 million, which is way lower than Indonesia, by the way. But the disposable income is way higher, I guess, even more than $10,000 in municipalities in center of big cities. How do you size the markets? Um, any certain end goal for you guys as Scotty in Turkey in terms of either its number of rides or GMV? What are some of the figures there? Turkey is a market for these verticals, like 48 billion. But it is just the beginning for us. Just in Istanbul, 14 million people use public transportation a day. It's around 1.4 million tax trips every day. So only the logistic is huge in Istanbul, but we are not just focusing in Turkey. We are beginning in Turkey. We are beginning in Istanbul. We are focused in Istanbul first, expanding Turkey. And then there are suitable places, uh, countries for expansion like Egypt, Lebanon, Morocco, even Brazil, Argentina. It depends on the, which vertical we want to expand. This is just the beginning for Scotty. Uh, we want to first focus locally, then become global. So like your podcast name, Glocal. 
I had no idea that you guys actually wanted to become global at the end. I'll come to that later, but um, you started in Istanbul, which I guess was really important. It's a very populated city with mediocre to high disposable income, but huge traffic issues as well. What were some of the advantages and disadvantages of starting in Istanbul? Traffic is really a big problem here. The whole idea started with this traffic problem. That was a big advantage because when, when you solve a real problem, people, they start to share their experience on social media with their friends. It's like feeling they are hacking something and making every day one or two hours more. That's a big gain for them. So if you provide this value, people really appreciate that. And it makes Keti to become a low brand. It helped us to launch other verticals. They give people their time back. So it was really good uh, to start in a metropole like this. But also there were definitely disadvantages like Fundraising is much more difficult if you are in Turkey in the beginning and also focused in a small area in the beginning. Also, what was difficult? Uh, in the beginning, the tech, building the tech team was very difficult. So I started to work with some friends from Ukraine. After we showed that we have a product market fit, we were able to hire a great uh, development team here. So the hiring was a really, really big problem in the beginning. Wow, so fundraising is obviously a huge disadvantage and I'll come to that later as well, but I had no idea that hiring would be that painful. But what I want to ask you is, if you were to do it all over again, you would again start with Istanbul and then grow both horizontally and then vertically. But many similar models tried and failed in Turkey miserably, meaning like Uber, which actually tried to penetrate the market for years and still can't do it. The regulatory burden and the taxi lobby is fairly strong. Can you tell us about the different dynamics there and what's your strategy in overcoming them currently? When Uber came here, I was probably one of the first partners of it. They come from another country. They were not locals. The thing that they do is kind of direct competitor of taxi. On the Scati case, they are solving almost the same problem that taxi solves. On the Scati, we believe that we are not direct competitor of taxi. So people with luggages, if you have family, if you have friends, you can't use Scati. If you are alone, you have specific problems, you can use Scati. So you can ride with motorbikes. Totally a different solution for traffic in Istanbul. As a as local founder, we had this chance to explain it to the regulators. We could fight for it and we believe that we are still fighting for it. And I still think this is not direct competitor of taxis. It's an alternative solution to traffic jam. And we have this capability to explain it to regulators. And I highly believe that we're going to solve these kind of problems. So they failed. I, I don't know if it's called failure. They are still working, as you know. But there were lots of similar startups, uh, Uber, which had difficulties as well. Scati didn't uh, copy the exact model. We started to try it with an alternative model. So what I'm understanding is um, the fact that you weren't cannibalizing the taxi market and the fact that you tried a different model, not just the Uber model, um, ended up becoming an advantage for you guys because you provided an alternative way of transportation rather than replacing uh, the conventional taxi. But you also said something very important there. You said that local teams can execute way better. In a model like Scotty or Uber, transaction is happening offline. So although there's some certain of technology that's required, I still believe that local teams can execute way better than international competitors that try to enter the market, like Uber being in this case. Would you be threatened if any of your competitors, international competitors, expanded into the Turkish market? I don't think so, because I think, you know, this ride sharing or food delivery or other, it's highly 
operational and highly local related. So as you know, there are lots of these kind of companies in Indonesia, Malaysia, let's say Bangladesh or Egypt. The local companies have always bigger advantages compared to the global ones. So I believe Turkey is a great market to be a local superstar startup. I believe they will come eventually. But at the end of the day, we know our country, we know our people, we know this business better than them. Even they are big, we are more powerful than them. But the same question goes for you too. I mean, in the beginning of the conversation, you said that you guys might explore Egypt, Argentina, Brazil, and different markets like that. But I really have doubts on the scalability of the model on a global scale. I'm um, just because local players will execute better almost always. What will be your strategy there? What are some of the markets you will go to and why? Yeah, that's correct. I totally agree with that. As we talked in the beginning, Gojek didn't go to any other country for four or five years. They focused on their country until they are sure that they captured the market. Then they start to expand. So now Gojek is expanding to similar countries in Asia. That's very tough to uh, expand to other countries. If you are good at in your country and then you can find great teams in other countries, it is going to be possible. But it's really far, far away from the today's problems. So I really didn't think about that a lot as much as I think that to solve the first two years problems. Once we are there, I think we will find a few solutions for that. Maybe we will not be as strong as the local competitors, but we will be in that, those countries. So the strategy is to dominate your own market and then potentially, if you have enough money and leverage, find a market where there is less competition and try to dominate that market next, which I believe is a nice strategy. And I know that you're experimenting with different markets, like you've said, like package delivery or food delivery, and you're also doing ride hailing, which was the main service that you started with. Which one of those are you the most bullish on and why? So in the beginning, we started with rice sharing. I believe that rice sharing is really important, but it is not the only thing that we focus as you mentioned. Food and package is also really important and there is a huge potential on those two. I can't say we are more bullish on this or that. It will depend on the next news. If we can solve the regulation issue, rice sharing could be much, much, much bigger. If we cannot, it will take time. In the near future, we cannot. We will be more bullish on food and package. And can you tell us a sense of where Scotty is right now? Um, this can be either number of rides, GMV, revenue. Where are you standing right now as a company? So in the first 18 months, we started in the first month, we completed 1000 transactions. It was like May 2017. In one and a half year, we completed 2.5 million transactions. That's the total number of transactions for food, ride, and package. But the food and package is barely new, so it's almost like 20% of the business. There is also seasonality, uh, you know, on ride sharing. When the weather is better, we reach higher numbers. When it is winter or snow, our numbers goes a little bit down. Total numbers is 2.5 million. Those are fairly big, big numbers. I mean, 2.5 million. But the obvious question is actually accidents. A lot of people are wondering whether you've experienced any accidents or not. Um, so people don't know how safe the service actually is and whether the service should be legal given how prone it is to accidents compared to other services like uh, public transportation or taxi. What's your take on this? The first thing we started was the SCATI Academy. It's before this, even SCATI, we built the team 
who will approve only the best and the best people. The security is the top priority in our company. From day one, we selected people very carefully. 70,000 drivers apply and we only approved less than 10,000 of them for rice sharing. Uh, we were highly selective on this. After this election, it takes on one day with theory and practice, like somebody jumps behind the driver, we test their equipment, we test their riding skills, but that's not the only thing. After each ride, people vote for the drivers and drivers vote for people. But if they vote one star, we quickly call the user and the driver. And then we call driver back to the SCATI Academy and test them and talk with them. If they pass it again, we approve. So from day one, we really focused on security. That affected the quality of the business. So people who used it, advised it to their friends and with word of mouth we had lots of new users this business is transportation and logistic business in any type of these kind of businesses with plane with buses with uh, taxi with motorbike doesn't matter there might be problems there might be accidents the most important thing how we act after this kind of things we really take care of everything for driver and passenger that our team starts to help so there is also all the drivers have their insurances. So insurance covers their all accident payments. If it doesn't, we are there and we try to take care of people. So yes, a few accidents happened, we, we took care of them. And these are all part of your core value proposition. I mean, although your main value proposition is the transportation, what you build around that proposition might also serve the customer, meaning either the driver or the passenger. So what I want to ask you is, although the transaction is happening offline, there are some portion of the value proposition that are pre or post delivery or transportation um, that can be solved with product. What are some of the parts that you're trying to automate with technology and what's your end goal from a product perspective? Educating people was one of the challenges. The, if you remember, the biggest issue when we started this business, we thought that people will not trust each other uh, to do this rice shaving, right? We start to educate people how they are going to hop on a bike in the screens of the app. And then also we collect the data of the driver, so how fast they do. If they stop the motorbike quicker than it should be, or if they, if they do any mistakes, we record those things and then we calculate the points for the drivers so that we can teach them to be better or we can we can warn them if necessary so we, we use technology to detect the quality of the rights also we use technology to educate drivers and users that's a perfect answer so what you're going to do is i mean you're maturing the product and your product is even partly being your academy or education and once you have a full-on mature product that can actually give quality ratings to drivers automatically blend in the community rating system to be able to predict accidents that might occur and then there are some certain parts of the product that actually comes into place after the accident occurs once you've matured the product to that level and then you actually expand to different international markets i think you will have a lot of more advantage compared to the local players who are potentially just starting the business because you're learning by doing in Turkey. But um, you started as a solo founder and that's weird because I mean, we don't see that many solo founders succeeding in general. What were the advantages of being a solo founder and what do you think is the ideal co-founding team size for a startup like Scotty? That's a good question because really that, that was tough for me too. But I think Gojek, Grab, Uber, all these kind of companies have solo founders. Somehow, 
it's so interesting, but it is like that. Best would be uh, having an operation COO and your CTO in a, your founding team. I was really lucky. I found a great operation manager and a great technical manager, not as a founding member, but uh, our operation, operations manager joined two months later and our CTO joined six or eight months later. I was lucky to find great people, not in the beginning, but a few months later. So we we have an ESOP, so we give them, and also our COO have co-founder title as well now. I think that would be much better if we had those people in the beginning. Uh, it would make Skati grow even faster. As I mentioned, uh, it was really big issue for me in the beginning to find these talented people. And it was crazy idea. I think it was really crazy idea. Anyone who would hear it in the beginning uh, would not be in the company, I think. And after they saw it's working, it made people, yeah, there is a potential. That thing happened to me as well. I mean, I heard about the business. I wasn't actually much interested. Then when I saw the figures, I was really, really impressed. But I think hiring is also part of your um, secret sauce. Everyone praises and talks highly of how you do hiring. What's your process there? What's key? I mean, what made you hire all these great people in such an early stage from other big companies? I, I don't know the secret sauce, but I can tell the stories. So about the hiring of our operations manager, Samir, and also head of food vertical, Alper. When I saw the news on web browser that uh, Zomato is closing their operations in Turkey, that night, I think I didn't sleep. I added every person from LinkedIn that worked in Zomato Turkey. Because Zomato was pulling out, I thought these people are talented and I want to reach out to them. So I started to talk with each people in Zomato and I asked them who was the best or which people would you work with or work for. I found that Alper and Samet was really great candidates. Then I started to talk with them. Samet uh, is our COO. Yeah, maybe, kinda. But then he texted me that he's going to Berlin. He got a great offer from there. And I said, stop, you can't. And I met with him again. I said, Samet, this is not just a rice sharing app. We are going to launch the food delivery. And you are the person that I want to work with. And I talked with the same with Alper as well. I think the key here, I didn't give up even they said uh, maybe or we are going. Uh, I was really sure that I need these people. In the Hakan case, our CTO, the similar things happened. I told about the idea of being the super app, how we can build the wallet, exact track. And then we started slowly in the beginning. I told him that we really need him. And he joined as well. I didn't accept no as an answer. I knew who I need. They believed in the same dream. Find great people. Never give up on trying to recruit them. And then make them feel valued so that at the end they want to join you. Amazing. And if hiring is one thing that you did great, another thing that you did even better maybe was fundraising. And I know that Turkey has a very tough fundraising landscape. I mean, to give more context to our listeners, the total amount of VC money, actually total amount of money that's invested per year per capita is below $1. And the total VC volume hasn't grown since the beginning of the decade, meaning since the beginning of 2010. But on the other hand, Scotty was able to attract seed funding way before it started operations. And Tarkan, what was your strategy while you were raising your initial funding? I know that your connections and personal network helped a lot. Tell us the funny story there. So before Scotty, I had a business uh, startup called Witpanel, which was bootstrap B2B 
with your streaming company, but I didn't uh, raise any money for that. But it was really great for me to learn about startups, also learn fundraising a little bit. But the best thing that I had there, a little bit of network from Silicon Valley, which includes Justin Khan, who was the founder of Twitch. Once I had this catty idea, didn't ask to raise money, but I asked his advice on my pitch deck. I think he liked the idea. The idea was already proven in many local places like Indonesia. I want to cut you there a bit. How did you know Justin Khan? Uh, there was a Webit Congress here. The, in the Webit Congress, there were 10 candidates. There would be only three finalists who was going to pitch. And Justin was jury. I didn't elect it as one of three finalists. And then I sent an email to the founder of that Congress. And I said, come on, Justin Khan is jury. And I am. I have a streaming company. I need to pitch there. And I accepted from top. I insisted and could pitch there. You didn't give up. You again didn't give up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I pitched there uh, and I said I would be really happy to meet Justin on that pitch. After the pitch, I, I went to Justin and said, Justin, uh, I have this startup. Would you be interested in having breakfast tomorrow together? He said yes. And he came the next day to our office rooftop. We had a Turkish breakfast, which was really good experience. And I told him my story that my father had this jewelry business before, how we bankrupted, how we started again, how I started this startup journeys, etc. Luckily, he was going to propose his girlfriend and he said, do you have any advice for finding a good ring? And I said, we can do it. We did the ring, he proposed, and then we become good friends. And yeah, that, that was the story, how I met with him and also we become friends with him. So you didn't give up and then you asked Justin Khan on a date and he accepted it. And <laughs> yeah, then you guys yeah. bought the ring. Yeah. Did you end up going to the wedding? At least you should be at the wedding, right? Yes, uh, that was another story. Actually, he invited me there. Uh, I was really honored and joined there. There were not too many people, but his good best friends and family. So I, I went to that wedding. That was amazing, actually. First, we raised from Justin and one of my another friend from Silicon Valley, who is from Indonesia. So we raised only 25k from Justin and 25k from another friend from Indonesia. So only with 50k you started operations, yeah. you get to a certain size and you continue to raise and raise and raise. Yeah. But you raised good sums of capital at the end. And I know that you have, uh, if it's not confidential, I'm just going to say it here. You have more than 30 investors out of which more than 10 are actually uh, institutional VCs ranging from VCs from Southeast Asia to VCs from the US. How hard was it to convince international investors to invest in a Turkey-only business, a business that's very operationally and will likely stay in Turkey in the foreseeable future? Yeah, so actually in total, I think I talked with over 150 people probably, like VCs and people. We, we could only raise from 30 of them, less than 20% I could convince to invest. It was not easy, but as uh, I remember, we our fundraising never stopped. So if we close one round in Friday, probably Monday we start the next. So it, it never stopped. Actually now we are still fundraising and we will keep fundraising. That's an ongoing process. It, is, it didn't happen like this. We will raise funds and then focus on business and grow it. We grow business and keep raising funds. That's the thing. I think the, the biggest luck, this kind of businesses 
already proven in many regions. So there are people who are specifically interested in these kind of businesses to invest. It was helpful for me on fundraising and also probably my history with selling diamonds in my family business helped me to communicate and tell the value of the company better. I think that's great advice. I mean, a couple of good advices here. One, if this is a proven business model where Scotty is, find people who have actually either made money investing into this business model or failed to make money investing into this business model because they already know the model, they might be more inclined to invest. And number two is you should be continuously raising money because this is a very, very capital intensive uh, business model. So I understand that you as the founder and the CEO, you're continuously in fundraising mode. You're still fundraising. You were fundraising since the start. What portion of your time goes to fundraising and what portion of your time goes to other things, which might be either hiring, product, lobbying, etc.? I think I spend most of my time like for fundraising, but hiring was also, it depends on times, but it took like 20% of my time. What I say mostly, I try to hire the best people and raise the funds to keep these people happy and make them work. The third thing I do, the regulations. This is regulation for now, the biggest rocks. So now biggest rock is regulation. I try to move that rock. And I hire great people and empower them. What I can tell Hakan to do, I mean, he's much better than me in technology and product. Or Samet is doing operations and growth really greatly. I just try to remove the big rocks in front of them and help them do their job. So the last 30% probably I spent so far for these regulations probably. This is great insight as well. I mean, as a founder, your job is to hire the best people delegate some of your tasks to them and make sure that you have enough funding to be able to pay their salaries at the end of the month, which is what you did really, really great. Thanks, but, um As a last question, what's the grand vision here? I mean, what makes you wake up every morning hoping that one day you will get there? Yeah, so this is really interesting because I remember when I was in high school or in college, I was not a very disciplined guy. I didn't like waking up early. I didn't like studying a lot. I was really motivated to do something even when I was in high school or in college. In college, I focused on building the biggest management club, which is sixth most popular student club now. I built a few games and other stuff when I was in college, but I, I was not top student there. So why I'm telling this, after the starting startups and Scotty, I started to wake up every day. 6 a.m. without like any alarm. It's happening on its own. It's even surprising me how I can do this. Uh, I know why, but I, I can't still believe how I can do this. Changing the lives of people is motivating me. And this impact on people, like 10,000 drivers' lives or millions of people using Scotty to go from A to B, order food or get their package on time. So serving people, making me feel really amazing. I think that's really the biggest motivation. For making money, being a founder is not the smartest idea, in my opinion. Joining a startup might even be better most of the time. And the success rates are not high. Never in my life becoming a rich or person or something was not my dream. It's a good ben like side benefit. It's like good to make money. But really main motivator never being the money. The journey itself is fun. I enjoy every second of it. Each obstacle makes me more motivated. 
even if things are going right, and I talked with Bekir one day, he is uh, our head of rights. I asked, how are the things going? And he said, great, there are no problems. I said, that's a big problem. Why don't we have any problem? It means we are slowed down or we are not doing our best. We need to have more problems. So obstacles itself also motivating me. Wow, so impacting millions of people's lives uh, one ride at a time and overcoming obstacles um, while you're trying to exponentially grow the number of people that you're impacting their lives with. I think that's a great vision. And I think hopefully in the near future, you will get to hundreds of millions potentially. Tarkan, thanks for being here. It was great speaking with you. A founder's job is to remove the obstacles along the way. And Tarkan has been doing that fantastically. He took care of fundraising, he took care of hiring, and now it came to regulation. Hopefully he's gonna take care of that as well. This is the end of today's episode. You can reach our website, theglocal.co. You can reach us on Instagram at the Global Podcast, and you can reach me directly on Twitter at Ennis Thank you for listening and see you in the next episode.